<laughs> okay. Um, this uh, shear is sponsored by Zecher Nishmas of Shmuel Shmelka Ben of Pinchas, Nisham Shavan Aliyah. Okay. I, the, the announced topic was Shabbos in America. It's going to take us a little bit of background to get there. Let's start like this. The, 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 I think after, after the video of the Chafetz Chaim coming to the Kriya Gedeila, there's probably not another like such iconic video like the video of the Munchas Halaz or the Munchas in 1933, looking directly at the camera and exhorting you know Yidden in America to keep Shabbos. Today it's already spawned several songs, and it's uh, I think outside of that outside of that video of the Chafetz Chaim, it's probably not such a like a poignant video that can capture in one in one instant someone's personality a and such a you know pressing cause. So the 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 Munchas Halazer, just to understand that video. He, he was the, the Rav of Monkach, prolific Talmud Chacham, tremendous Mechaber Svarim, but uh, he had no children. Until he was married in, in Pachas Yaser, let's say 1895, for 20 years he didn't have any children. He ends up getting divorced, he marries a second wife, and in the middle of World War I he travels to doctors and he has one child, one daughter. This one daughter, on this one daughter is riding all the Nitzchis, all the future of Monkach, all the future of everything he's investing in. When she was nine years old, he started traveling around looking for a shidduch for her already. And in 1927, when she was 11, I think, she was engaged to um, Boruchel Rabinovich from, from Galicia. And in 1933, this was the wedding of the century. You know, in the Chesid Shevelt, this was the wedding of the century. The Munkat only daughter. It was the future. It was everything. The Munkat Shereva was... In learning Akapanam, the Gadla Dharam, the Chsidisha world, the prolific Mechaber Svarim, a real Kanoi, a leader of men. And at this wedding, uh, a film crew from New York came down to film the town of Munkach, and they tried to gain entry into the Munkach Rabbi's house to interview him, to see him, to video him, and he refused. At the wedding itself, somebody explained to the Rebbe that whatever is gonna be, you're going to do in front of this camera will be seen in America. And then without a moment's pause, he turns, he looks directly at the camera, he lifts up both fingers and he says, Eden in America, eat Shabbos. That's his, his message and he breaks away crying and that's the end of it. Like, this is the, you understand the moment that he's in. He had he an opportunity to, to be mechazik, to exhort Eden in America to keep Shabbos and that was his, his focus. Now, Shabbos in America was a tremendous challenge, but in most cities um, where Jews lived, you know, pre-war in America, I know Toronto has one, There'll be a shul or shuls called Shomer Shabbos or Shomer Shabbos, where part of the charter of the shul was that you can't have a minion before nine o'clock, because because there was many many shuls that felt like, listen, Parnassah it's an onus. People need to work on Shabbos. It is what it is in America. You can't make ends meet without working on Shabbos. So let's make minyanim for them. They would make hashkam minyanim at five thirty a.m. minyan. They don't daven. Could even go home and have a small suda. Then by nine a.m. you were in the factory or the office or in the shop or wherever you had to be. And there were many shuls and rabbanim afilu who felt that this was, you know, what, what the time called for. There was no, there was no way around this. There's a, there's a, 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 a tshuva from Rav Chaim, I forgot his name, Rav in Hoboken, in Hoboken, New Jersey. It's called Malki Bakaydesh. It's a multi-volume tshuva set. And in Chelik Bey's in Tshuva Gimli, as a home aracha, to, to work through how working on Shabbos is not a day raisa, and, you know, it's different for the kainim and the moichrim, and depending on what your job is, and... Like to work through episode of leniency, some sort of gefil that like, you know, it's, you got to work with these people also and there has to be concessions to the need to work on Shabbos. So that was the America that, 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 that we're talking about. Now, when I, when I was sitting down to think about talking about this topic, 
So really, it comes to like, you say this to Kishayla, like, are Paiskim in general looking to be machmer or looking to be mekel? Like, what's the job of a Paiskim? And obviously the question is, it's an oversimplification, and it's impossible to, to really be magda that. To me, it jumped off. Like, there's a, like, I wouldn't call it a steer, but it's something so interesting for me. There's some safer, and our Chaim Chelek Aleph has two tshuvas back to back. Chuvan Nuntes is about like owning a, a bathhouse on Shabbos. And then there the Chassam Sefer says, and he ends off, and this is something that in every like uh, Sefer or Kuntras that's put out to promote a Chumrah or to promote Chumras in general, brings this Chassam Sefer as like, you see how the Gishav of is supposed to be. The Chassam Sefer ends off and he says, Mikal Makim, Miyadi From my hand, a Hirala Heter is not going to come. Valzeanu Mispaulim. This is what we daven every day, he says. Shetei Parnasaseinu Behetter Velei Beisr. We daven our parnasah should be behetter v'lei be'eser. He says, "Ve'ena kavana b'lei gneva v'gzela." She says, "Ve'ena b'dei shemayim." To control yourself, not to steal, that's up to you. You don't daven to Hashem. Hashem, please, I shouldn't steal today. That's not what it means. Shetei parnasah seinu behetter v'lei be'eser. He says, "What it means is aval kavana dvarim asurim v'nitzarach latirim mishmehafsis parnasah seinu." We're asking is we shouldn't have to cut corners. We shouldn't be in a position where because of our parnasah, because of other things, we have to cut corners. So Chum Sefer says. I'm not cutting corners. Now, in any contrast or maracha that you'll find from, let's say, any Hungarian rav worth his salt who's being machmer about anything will bring this to some cipher. As like, uh, you know, you see what policy, what public policy is supposed to be. Literally, if you turn one page over, the next tshuva that the Chumsefer is talking about, a different shayla, about houses that were destroyed and he wants to build them on Shabbos. The door is blown wide open like a, like a bika. There's, we need chizik. And it's the time, it's an opportune time to make a gather to be shamer l'tayra, l'hachmer, v'lei l'hoisif kula. To be machmer, not to be moisif kula. Ach, ani ha'gever ra ani ami. I'm the man who witnessed the, the pain and the suffering of my, of my nation. And al-kein amarti b'chol ki ha'gav n'koyche d'etayra adif. Therefore I said, even though the dar is parots and, and it's a shrek time and there's makam v'chumra, but I see the suffering and the pain that people are in and I have to, I have to be mekel. And then he continues to make a whole kula. And then he davens, says, I'm davening that my tefillah, my tefillah is that I shouldn't make a mistake and that what I say should be accepted. So it's literally like, you turn the page, it's one way, you turn the next page, it's something else. And the answer is that there is no right answer. There's not uh, like a methodology, like always to be machmer, always to be mekel, always, you know, there's no agenda to be looked for. There are situations and times that call for one response and situations and times that call for another response. Now, as like a somewhat guiding principle that you see in the Paiskin brought down a lot, there's a, something from the Akedah that I want to share and then we'll move on to some practical Zachin. The, the Akedah is Yitzhak Arama. He's, I guess you could call him from the last of the Rishonim. He's from the Gedolim who were, who were kicked out of Spain in 1492. He dies two years later. He was an old man already. He was actually a big Lamdan. He believed in Lamdas, which was unpopular in Spain at the time. Most of the Svarim that were being written were not in that, in that vein, that style. He was a Lamdan, he wrote Svarim on Lamdas. <coughs> but his, his Sefer that's most popular, that's most uh, iconic, call it, is the Akedas Yitzchak, which is a Sefer on Chumash that's almost impossible to read. I think I mentioned it before because of the way it's set up. But in there, he has a Maracha, in Parshas Vayera, or in Shar Chaf, depending on how you would find it, where he has a Maracha as follows. He says, everybody knows the story of Stein, right? The, the Malachim come. Stein has laws against taking guests. Stein has extensive laws against anyone being nana from anything that's mine, even if it costs me nothing. And the malachim, they finally get taken into Leit's house and the whole everyone surrounds them. And we know the story of Stein. He says, now, there's a, a famous tragedy. It's actually the first shidduch crisis, not to make light of it, but it's the first shidduch crisis that Klai Yisrael suffered. It's, a, it's a, one of the most tragic moments in Klai Yisrael's history. 
in the end of Shaftim is the story of Pilagish Begiva. Now, I'm sure everyone's familiar, but I'll just say it over Bekitzer just to bring everyone up to speed. But the story of Pilagish Begiva is as follows. There was a man who had a Pilagish, and he was traveling. And, uh, I'm sorry, and his Pilagish strayed. She, she strayed. And they got into a fight, and she went home to her father's house. After a few days, he goes there to the Pilagish's house to try to collect her, to try to bring, bring the Shalom Bayis back and bring her home. He says he goes... Tzokum tells us it's elaborate, it's in several, it's, it's, it's the whole parakeet test through Chafalif in, in the end of Shaftim is all this. And Tzokum tells us that he went, and after a few days she concedes and she's ready to come home with him, and it's a several day trip that they have to make to get back home to where they live. He's, he's from Shevet Levi, and <clears throat> they're traveling, and when nightfall comes, they get to a, a giver which belongs to Shevet Binyamin, and they get there, and nobody wants to take them in. They're looking for for some food. Nobody wants to have them. Until finally the Pasik says, Zakin Echad comes in from his work at the end of a long day. And he says, come, come, you could stay by me. It says, so they go into his house, they stay by him. And not, not, not long after, the people of the city or some people from the city surround the house and they say, give us these men, give us this man who showed up so we could have our way with him. Very similar, almost a mirror to Stein. To which the, the host, the Balach Nasazarchim says, no. It's not, that's very improper, that would look real, that would reflect really poorly on us. I'll give you, I have a daughter and I'll give you his Pilegish. You could have the two of them and, and that should, that should, should, should satiate your, your, you know, your appetite. And the girl obviously doesn't, doesn't want to go, the Pilegish does not want to go outside and the man grabs her, throws her out the door and the, the town does what they do and in the morning when, when this man is ready to go on his way, he opens the door and he finds the Pilegish dead on the stoop. He calls her, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk goes into elaborate detail. He calls her, he tries to shake her awake. There's no response. She's dead. He takes her, he slings her over his, his donkey, and he heads back home. When he gets home, the Pasuk tells us he takes a sword, he cuts her into 12 pieces, and he sends a piece. He airmails a piece of the body to each one of the 12 shvatim, and he says, look what happened here. Something has to be done, look what happened here. And says, Klaiosor gets together, and they amass an army of 400,000 members. 400,000 chalutze cherev are amassed, at the border of Binyamin. They gather together and they, they, they come to Binyamin and at first they start civilly. They say, Shevet Binyamin, what, what happened? This is unacceptable. Shevet Binyamin says, uh, you know, you're not the boss. Every Shevet has its own. States have rights. We're not talking to you. The, the Klai Yisrael demands, hand us over the, the, the perpetrators. So if it's not everyone and it's just a few people, so hand us over the perpetrators and we'll do, we'll do justice on them. To which Binyamin says, uh, one for all, all for one. We're not, if you want them, come get them. So Klai Yisrael forms an army. They go to ask by the, by the army of And Hashem tells them, go, yeah, go fight with Binyamin. So it says the first day Klai Yisrael amasses to battle Binyamin. And on the first day of war, Binyamin uh, uh, is, is crazy successful. Binyamin kills, I might be off by a few, but I think it's um, 22,000 22, soldiers from Klai Yisrael's army. Klai Yisrael is taken aback. They're, they're completely shaken. They're doing the right thing. They're standing up for what's right. And then... The, they go to the Ramatum again, they say, should we, should we continue? And Hashem says once again, yeah, continue. Fight, fight on. They go the next day and Klai Yisrael again loses 18,000 soldiers. Together, 40,000 soldiers Klai Yisrael lost. One of the most tragic, one of the biggest bloodbaths in Klai Yisrael's battle history. Happens at the hand of Shev Binyamin. The third day, they, they, the Pasuk says they bring Karbanas, they daven, they make a big yam tefillah, and again they ask, should we continue? And Hashem says, yeah, today go, and today I'm going to be Moisad and Biyatri, you're going to be successful. And that day, Klai Yisrael goes, and they set some kind of ambush that the Pasuk goes into detail, and they, they wipe out close to 25,000 of Anche Binyamin, which is the bulk of the Shevet, leaving over only 600, 600 young girls, young unmarried girls. And that's why I say it's the first Shevet crisis, because the next few Pesukim deal with, 
how to marry these girls off. That's when Klai Yisrael finally sues for peace and makes up with Shev Binyamin. The, the question is, Klai Yisrael first makes a shvua that no one's going to have anything to do with the girls of Binyamin and how to marry them off becomes the Shailah. Now, the problem is, this is the story. Now, there's obviously some very, very clear mirrors to Stein. There's a lot of very clear similarities to Stein. So the Ramban, Alatayra, asks right away, he says, by Stein, Zaka Stein came in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem sends Malachim, he turns it over, Gafras from Melach, without barely a mascaras of Stein, he can't find anything in Stein. Over here, Klai Yisrael stands up to do the right thing, they go to battle with Anshe Binyamin, and what happens? Klai Yisrael loses more men, ultimately, than Binyamin loses. Yes, Binyamin gets nearly wiped out, but Klai Yisrael loses in these battles 40,000 men. He says, how you talking that Klai Yisrael stands up to fight with the current, you know, Gilgal of Stoim and they lose men? How does that make any sense? So the Ramban goes on and he tries to limit the Avla of the Bnei Binyamin. He says, listen, it wasn't everyone. It wasn't, uh, it was a small group. Klai Yisrael also had problems. And the, the Ramban goes, you know, to, to, to limit them and to say how the Avera was not as great. And therefore, Klai Yisrael should have been more patient, they should have dealt with it differently, and everyone was punished. That some Rishonim even say, the reason why the, the book of Shaftim closes with this bloody chapter is to show the need for proper leadership. Because after Shaftim, we go to Malachim, and we start with Kings. And even though Kings is, you know, has its downside, but to show that Kala Yisrael needed, Ishayashu Bein of Yasa wasn't working anymore. It led to a bloody civil war in Kala Yisrael. Now, the, the Akeda in Parshas Vayera, so he brings the same conundrum, this Hilustira, between the Hanhagah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Stoim and the Hanhagah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, to, to Pilagish Begiva. And he has like a, he says this to Kechilek, he takes him many pages to say it and he builds it out from, from different sources. But his basic premise is that there's a big difference between Oivri Avera, which there's always going to be. Of course it's not acceptable. And of course, you know, you can't just look the other way when someone is being Oivri Avera. He says, but the fact that there are people, Yidin, who are going to do Averis Chamuris, who are going to violate the rules, that always exists. It's not, it, yes, it doesn't impugn Klai Yisrael, it doesn't impugn a city, it doesn't impugn a Shevet, if there are every Avera in the Shevet. There's always going to be every Avera. He says what impugns a city or a Shevet or, or a society is when they institutionalize these Averas. When they say, oh, okay, fine. Our Dar needs to do these Averas. Our Dar, we can't. We, we have to be able to do these Averas in our Dar. He says that's the type of thing that makes it impossible to come back from. Because once you build it in and you say like, listen, this is, it becomes like a mitzvah almost. It becomes l'chatchila. Like, this is what our dar needs. Our dar needs these Averis. Then you can't come back from it. He says, Stoim institutionalized Averis. Stoim said, yeah, no, this is richtig. This is the way it should be. This is how it has to be. Anybody who violates this, they're wrong. Averis are supposed to be. These type of Averis are necessary. He said, Stoim Hashem felt, there's no coming back from that. You institutionalize Averis and you say like, no, Averis is the way to go because our dar or our time or our city needs it. There's, no, there's nothing worth, there's no, there's no silver lining. There's nothing to come back from. Hashem says, I'll be mapach the city, we got, you know, gafres for melach, there's nothing left, there's nothing worth salvaging. It says, Shevet bin Yamin, Bakeda says, they were sinners. And yeah, they had a certain, you know, irrational sense of loyalty to each other, and they didn't want to give each other up. But overall, it wasn't institutionalized in Shevet, in Shevet bin Yamin that you're supposed to do Averis. That wasn't like an institution, a creed of Shevet bin Yamin that you're supposed to do Averis. So, so Klai Yisrael a little bit overreacted, and Shevet bin Yamin a little overreacted, and one thing led to another, and it got out of hand, and that's where there's bloodshed on all sides, and Kilo, like, nobody wins. You know, it was a civil war, nobody wins. There's no winner. Everybody suffered. Because they didn't institutionalize Chet. Now, there's men, it, it's strange because this Akedah is, is a Sefer on Chomish. It's an Agatha to Sefer. It's not a Halacha Sefer. He rather uses it for Halacha Shah that I won't go into now, but many, many Paiskim afterwards quote this Akedah. Some of them did not even see it. The Akedah wasn't even printed. Some of them just say, 
Kayadua, what the Akeda once said, or some of them saw it and said, the Akeda says over there, some of them knew it, you know, from the source, some of them didn't, but you'll find it in many different places I'm quoting this Akeda as like a guiding light to how to look at the need for Chumras versus Kulis. Meaning, an individual is struggling, a time that they're struggling, a situation that's a struggle, of course a Rav could use the Kaycha Deateira to be Mekel, to, to, to create a situation that's tenable for an individual or, or a Kahilo or a society that's struggling. But when a Rav will say, or, or a Paisik will say, this whole Dar, listen, for us, these mitzvahs, or this set of mitzvahs, or these halachas are not relevant to us, that's a bankrupt philosophy. That can't be. Now, I want to use that as like a, a background, like Hilo, a guiding principle of us as we go in and see different heroes of saving Shabbos in America. I think I'd like to spend one on Ramesha and one on the Satmarav. It might take us more than two just to, to flesh each one of them out. But, but these are two, each one in their own way, in their very different way. Um, who flesh, you know, who, who helped bring Shabbos back to what Shabbos was supposed to be in America. Now, incidentally, the, the Satmarov was a close uh, Talmud Chavar to the Munkachers, to the Munkachers. Even though the Munkachers himself never made it to America, his words did and his Talmudim did, and uh, they certainly had an impact on the on the scene on the scene in America. Now, just to give uh, a little a little historical background, let's take a few steps back. So, in 2020 and 23, the summer of 2023, the Supreme Court agreed to take on a session right now for, for the upcoming summer session of the Supreme Court in 2023 the Supreme Court agreed to take on a case of a, a, a postman a post, post office worker from Pennsylvania his name is Gerald Gerald um, Gaff or Braff I believe in 2019 after the post office made an agreement with Amazon to do their deliveries the post, the post office schedule got much much tighter they needed to increase deliveries on Saturday and uh, Mr. Gerald Gaff was a religious man who enjoyed taking his Saturdays and Sundays off, and he wasn't interested in working then. And he kept having to change his schedule and find the replacement. And finally, in 2019, the post office in Pennsylvania fired him and said that your religion is an undue burden on our work schedule. And based on an old Supreme Court case from 1977, we're not obligated to satisfy your religious needs. And they fired him. Now, uh, Gerald Gaff sues the post office, and the court case winds its way up. And this summer it's going to be heard by the Supreme Court. Um, and it could be a landmark case for from people because the idea of, of, of an, a company or, or a public or a private company having to accommodate Shemri Shabbos is very relevant. to the, It's the same Shiloh, whether it's a Christian, whether it's a Muslim, whether it's a Jew, it's the same Shiloh. What amount of, of accommodation does a company, be it public or private, have to accord to Shemri Shabbos? Now, this is, it's expected to be a monumental case and many um, amicus briefs, you know, like uh, friends of the court have been, been sending it in and the Aguda submitted one together with Nat Lewin, favorite uh, Jewish constitutional lawyer of everyone, and they submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme Court um, to, you know, support what they want the outcome of this case to be. Now in it, uh, Rabbi Zubibel and, and, uh, and um, Nat Lewin write, and this is what caught my eye, is the story of Jews in America cannot be told without understanding the battle that Jews had to wage for Shabbos. Meaning the, the history of Jews in America, who we are today, cannot be told without understanding the battle that we fought to keep Shabbos in this country. And therefore, moving that ball forward and getting to the next point is, is pushed like a, a, a natural progression. It's a part of, an, of the, American, the American story, the Jewish story in America, of allowing for true and complete religious freedom. And Mela, it's very, very important. This is what they wrote in their, in their amicus briefs. Now let's just... So let's just talk about this battle for Shabbos that they're describing in this, in this thing. Now, just mamash mikufya, the immigration to America, let's say, of Jews really starts in the 1850s. It's Jews from Germany 
who were not all that religious to begin with, and the reform movement becomes the primary movement in America. There were very, very few Orthodox jewels. The conservative didn't really exist yet. There was many, many reformed jewels in America, and most of those today have no Jewish enikel left. You know, the people who came from 1850, those are, you know, uh, German names, Strauss, Lehman, uh, you know, etc. There's many of them. They came in the 1850s, hundreds of thousands of them, and they started the reform movement. They were relatively organized in America, and uh, they themselves began to push for the right to have Shabbos off. Not because they cared to maybe do malach on Shabbos, but because they didn't want to have to go to work on Shabbos. And they began to make a push that, that uh, there should be laws for Shabbos to be off, not to be a work day. Just like there was laws passed for the Christians you know, in the early 1900s, the blue laws where they weren't allowed to have stores open on Sunday, they felt it should be the same for Jews, etc. And it was a whole fight. They formed, like um, they banded together and, and uh, they began to battle. Now, in the 1880s is when, to, between the 1880s and, and call it 19, 1915, the First World War, two million Jews from Russia came, Russia, Ukraine. Now, Russian, Ukraine, Ukrainian Jews did not have reform where they came from. Reform with German and Shul was as off-putting to them as being in a Catholic church. And even if they weren't religious, they weren't reform. And then starts the movement of conservative Judaism in, in, in America, which is as a mix. Conservatax, conservatism, some orthodox. And they also begin pushing for a little bit of Shabbos. Now, in 1915, there's a, there's a rabbi, Rabbi Bernard Drachman, who forms a, like a committee for the, for the keeping of Shabbos. I looked him up. He's at best conservatax. He, he might be conservative. He's at best conservatax, probably conservative, and, but he's already pushing and, and having rallies and they, they joined together with like the labor movement in America, which was pushing for like unionizing and for better labor conditions. And this became like a cause of like the labor movement. Like just, the, just like you can't make your workers work 14 hours a day, you also can't make them work on their Shabbos or their Sunday or whatever it is. And there was commissions, there was rallies, there was pushing. Eventually, strangely enough, even though he was a big anti-Semite, they got Henry Ford on board who wanted his workers to have a certain amount of off, and he joined this movement. And slowly but surely, by the time uh, the Second World War came around, there was the idea that a person could be off on Chavez. Some of it was legal, some of it wasn't legal, but there was laws and, and, and you know, Minhagi Akihila already that were leading to people being off on Chavez. Now, now, the problem is that in America there was many strains of Judaism. There was Reform, Conservative, Orthodoxy, neither one, the Orthodoxy was by far not the primary strain of Judaism. It wasn't that strong. So even as Shabbos became off, shul attendance wasn't doing great. People didn't really come to shul that much. Okay, great. You want us that we could stay home on Shabbos. We're still not dying to come to shul on Shabbos. So in 1950, there was a, a landmark case that was passed in the conservative, in the conservative you know, Jewish movement in America by, by three rabbis, allegedly a Besdin, rabbis Adler, Agus, and Friedman, who made a Besdin that was called the, the Committee on Jewish Law and Standards. And in 1950, they published a landmark tshuva permitting driving to shul on Shabbos. That's when it started. The, the, the parking lots became open and they, the conservative movement had never allowed driving on Shabbos. Driving was, was considered havara, was a deraisa. They permitted driving on Shabbos, but they said it's very specifically, you cannot, well, chas v'shalom, we're not saying that you could, uh, you know, use a phone, a phone didn't really, a cell phone. Chas v'shalom, we can't say, we're not saying that you could use electricity or that you could even carry your wallet on you when you go to shul. We're just saying you could drive to shul. It's like a special heter that was given for driving to shul. You could actually download the whole tshuva. What's crazy about it is that it's written like a tshuva. And they bring, like, there's a Hebrew edition, an English edition, and they bring makairis and sushtels. I mean, obviously, if you went to yeshiva, it's not going to be very hard to, to be matcha, some of these sushtels, but it's written like a real tshuva. 
and they make it like this, and but with grace to shamranot, not not just in general to be makel, we're makel just to drive to shul on Shabbos because shuls need to be full on Shabbos. A Jew who doesn't go to shul, it's, it's not going to be the same experience, etc. Now, just as like a master class in Zilusa the Shabbata, which is what they accomplished, in 1990, in Israel, there was a Bezdin, again, a Bezdin, I call, I say loosely, a Bezdin of the conservative, of the Masorati Jews in Eretz Yisrael, that paskin two things together. A, a family from, from, I forget where now, maybe Petach Tikva or something, came to them and said, that there's no shul that has mixed seating local to them, no egalitarian shul that's close to them. And Kaidua, they're very uncomfortable to daven in a shul that doesn't have mixed seating. Could they be Samech on the Kula from 1950 in America and drive to a shul that's further away where there'll be mixed seating and they can be comfortable? And the Bezdin in 1990 in Yisrael paskin two things. A, the Bezdin in 1950 in New York does not have the standing to paskin for every conservative shul all over the world. They can only paskin for New York. It's not, you can't just paskin for everything. And B, their psak was, was a mistake. Because it led to a great misunderstanding about the Chaymer of Shabbos. People started thinking, and I can't imagine why they would think that. People started thinking that electricity is mutter on Shabbos and that you don't really have to keep Shabbos. So it didn't really even help. Like it just kept people home watching television instead of coming to the shul in a car. So it was a misunderstood psak, and, and we really shouldn't be saying on that psak, and, and you can't drive to the shul on Shabbos. So like it's Pashat, it's a master class in how Zilusa the Shabbat works. Like how misguided intentions in Zilusa the Shabbat works. But you say like, Listen, we can't. Driving, that's too much for us. And then you see, Pasha, it's not hard to see, that there are people in the reform movement, in the conservative movement, who believe that the whole... In 1950, there was 850 conservative shuls in America. A huge number. Much more than orthodox shuls. Today, that has dwindled down to, to much, much, much less. I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's been on a precipitous decline ever since then. And there are many people in that movement who feel like the straw that broke the camel's back, what really did them in was this psak. By breaking with halacha and showing that, like, eh, we don't, we're not kafuf to halacha anymore. When people have, like, oh, okay, so if we're not kafuf to halacha, so, like, why am I stopping here? Like, I might as well just go a little further. It's more comfortable. And there was really no makam for, for, this, for this, like, uh, middle ground. And that became, like, the undoing of the conservative movement. Now, B'chalaifin, in this environment in America, in this type of environment of Shabbos, is where Reb Moshe, you know, the Paisik Hadar from 1950 until 1980s, had, was stepping in. Every Shaila that came to Ramayisha Vayetoch Shabbos during those three decades was in his mind framed in light of this background. In light of an America that, that had battled for Shmir Shabbos, had battled for the ability to be Shemir Shabbos, but was still challenged by all these different movements and all these different options and had never really succeeded in becoming Shemir Shabbos is where Ramayisha came to look you know, at, at every Shaila that was presented to him. Now, there's, there's a whole bunch that I want to get into. But I see I'm going to be a little bit limited for time. So I'm going to do one that's a standalone and we'll continue with Moshe. It will take us more than one to, to get through all this. But let me do a standalone one because this one's mamish fascinating to me. Everyone's familiar with, with the, the Erev Shaila, right? About making Erev in big cities. Moshe, Kaidua held it was a problem, was an usher to make an Erev in big cities, be it Manhattan, be it Brooklyn. Uh, Moshe has many chuvas about it, Kaidua. In the Chesid Shevel, this psak wasn't so well accepted, or Menashe Klein. In, in uh, Mishnah Halachas and Chelekei has most of the volumes about this. He later publishes a whole sefer called Ayman Chaima about it and Chatzko Roth and many other Paiskim who, who held differently than him. But Reb Moshe, you know, held Bishalai very, very strongly and the Chuvis span the entire, you know, every volume of Yisrael Moshe and Kemat has one where he reiterates his positions, etc. Now, I just want to highlight Reb Moshe has many Chadushim in these Chuvis and of course it's beyond the purview to get into the sugi of Erevin now and, and what these machleksim are, you know, about Erevin in big cities, etc. But the, the, 
I want to just highlight a certain Nakuda, but before I do that, I just want to share something else. Uh, Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Scholzinger, who we mentioned before, uh, used to give Shurim Panovich. And on the day of Rabbi Moshe's yard site, he used to like to say this. This was like his, his hespid for Rabbi Moshe. This was what he used to like to share. He would, he would, um, he would say as follows. In Arachayim Chelik Aleph, Tshuva Kufla Mechas is the first Tshuva that Rabbi Moshe handles Erev. And it starts as follows. The Tshuva starts off, Be'inyinim Efshelas is taken Erev Brooklyn. That's the name of the Shaila. Now, if you look at the heading, it starts off as follows. Erev Chag Shvuas, Tafshin Yud Beis. Erev Chag Shvuas, the year is uh, 1952, is the year. Now, the Tshuva goes on for pages, Anafim, Marachis, Chedushim, groundbreaking, revolutionary writing that Ramesha does in this Tshuva. And then he ends off, at the end of the capital, it says, Hinani Yedidai, Maikire Belev Nefesh, Mavarche Vachag Sameach, I wish you a good yomtif. Ramesha signs off. It's, it's like a, a 20-page tshuva with anafim. It's a tshuva that forever will live on as like a, a gold standard tshuva in tshuvas. In, in all of Shut, you know, that's published. This is a tshuva that every time someone's going to come to talk about the Sugi of Erevin, they're going to come back to this tshuva. And that's forever. You know, for, for as long as Klai was learning the Torah, they're going to come back to this truth when they talk about Erevin. He would just point out, nothing more needs to be said. It starts off on Erev Chag and he signs off wishing a good yomtif. It's, it's 20 monumental pages, 10 anafim, detail, chidushim, kol terukula wrapped up, starts off Erev Yomtif, it ends off Erev Yomtif. That, that's like a, the, the, the ultimate hesper, I think, that you could give uh, on a person. Was Ramesh Shemot Cheshosen used to say this over. Now, Besaych Lechuv over there, now, this is the part that's relevant to us. Rav Moshe has a, has a great Sechidosh over there where he says like this. He says there's a diik, he makes a diik and a rashi in Psachim that in, in Yerushalayim, even though it was surrounded by walls, that in Yerushalayim they wouldn't make an area of Chatseris. Now we know that even if you have an area that's Meshutif, that's owned by many people, that's surrounded by walls, if you don't have an area of Chatseris that allows every person to be you know, in joint ownership with each other, you still can't carry there. It says there's one day in Rashi that they wouldn't make an area of Chatseris in Yerushalayim. It says... Rabbi Moshe, why? He says, says, Yerushalayim was a place where people from all over came. So the Rabbanim, Chazal were afraid, Maybe some outsider, some visitor to Yerushalayim would come, and he would see that in Yerushalayim they're allowed to carry, everything's good, but where he comes from, in his small village, in the Darom somewhere, there's no Erev, there's no Erev Chatseris, there's no Mechitzis, there's no nothing. And he's going to go home, he's going to carry there too. So even though Erev is good and Erev is necessary and Erev is possible in Yerushalayim, they didn't make one. So that no one should, get, should, should learn the wrong lesson from it, he says. He says, by our situation also, people come from all over. People come from places where, it's, where it wouldn't be possible to make an Erev. Or they're out of the Tchom, where they live you know, a different way. And they're going to come from here, they're going to learn that Ervin is okay and that Ervin is acceptable. That's a bad message. You're sending them home with a bad message. I can't have that. And because of that, Ramesh says he's holding by being machmer. One of the reasons Ramesh says he's holding by being machmer. This is a psak that's like, uh, and I'll show you the second half of this one, that's mamish in light of what's going on on the street. Ramesh looked at it and he said, Shabbos is mamish weak. People come, come, keep Shabbos the basics. The last thing I need is to give them the impression that you're allowed to carry also. They're going to come for a Shabbos in, in Fifth Avenue, which was, you know, the ear of Aim. They'll come to the Lower East Side, wherever they'll come, and they'll walk away with the impression, oh, Shabbos, carrying a Shabbos is fine. I can't send them home with that impression. That, that could only be negative. In, in another tshuva that he writes back to Rav Klein much later on, 
He says, uh, he says, uh, he says, Klein wrote to him how important it is that people are trapped in small apartments. They can't go out with their wife, their kids. Pasha going stir crazy on Shabbos. It's Pasha the mitzvah. Free people from their prison cells and make, a, make, a, make an area for them. That's what Rabbi writes to him. Amongst, uh, not to be mocked in it, amongst 11 other uh, critiques and horrors. I'm not trying to make fun. Amongst 11, you know, grace of and, and a real serious tshuva, Ha'ara number 11 is this, that people of Pasha locked up in their house and you need to let them go so they could have some Enoch Shabbos. Rabbi writes, He says, There's a big tzarech, fakir from what you're saying. If I allow that, people won't know there's an isser to carry. The biggest isser that a person could violate, he says, is to just write off something from the Torah, to forget something from the Torah. The Torah is the biggest isser a person could be violated. Even if you know you're making hashar, nothing bad is going to come out of this. It's not relevant. I'm just not going to talk about a certain I'm just not that part. I'm just going to leave out. He says, there's no bigger issue than that. He brings a raya from Marshal and Baba Kama that Yemuchayiv, it's Yaharag Val Yavar, Moshe says. Yemuchayiv to be Moser Nefesh, to not be Mashkiach, a chalik of the Torah. He says, Va'afsha anam le gazrin and Yosim Mashisa begamar. Are you going to tell me I can't make my own gzeris? How could I say that it's a gzeris not to have an area because it's, it's going to cause Hashkoch, Shikhas Torah? Moshe wiggles it around a little bit and he says, the chayra, it's already included in some other gzeris of Chazal. And this is, this is you know, the ultimate no go. Now, just one last tiny nakuda on this, I'm sorry, is that in, in the Hapardes, which is a, like a periodical that came out, not, it's not an English this part, there's someone there who writes a kuntris to Vimata the Erevin, and then he writes, I showed my whole mimer to Ramesha to get his feedback, and Ramesha told me his fouls, he says. Ramesha says, Bevada yesh taimim You're not saying I'm a ratzis. There's many tzadim lahakal, like you're saying. There's also tzadim lahachmer, like I said in my chuvas, he says. And therefore, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be meicha if you want to be meikal. Uh, about, what, about what you're saying. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Ramesh's Tshuva is pages and pages long. Chedushim, Magabah Chedushim. There's endless, you know, uh, components to Ramesh holding its Aser. Look at the one he chooses, he says. Me'idach, he says. Heyois, that, that Chedush that I said about Yerushalayim and my Tshuva, that, you know, they didn't make an error because they didn't want it to get out of hand. Because of that, I'm not holding by being Mekel. This is many years later, after many fights back and forth, Ramesha accepted everyone's critiques. Ahi and Ahar Tzirik, they wrote, it's five chuvas later. Ramesha writes, I hear you, it's all good. The one that I'm not backing off from is the fact that people are going to think they're carrying his mother and Shabbos. That's the one that there's no concession on my part from. And, and he continues and he says, Bakhlal, who are you helping? You're helping Avery Avera, you're helping people who just want a thing. And he continues. So this is a, a standalone case where you see this, this guiding principle by Ramesha, the idea that you can't ever be mavater on a chilek of Torah and that you can't say that this dar is so parots that for, for them this is not necessary and you have to look and, and see you know now there's many many more chuvas and I want to get into them and we'll continue this but just next week is a, there's a seasonal topic I want to talk about so I'm gonna, we're going to digress one seasonal topic and then we'll go back to, to Shabbos in America yeah. Yeah, that's what it is